Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of the Good Grow Great Podcast. I'm Talia Toha, and this is Six Degrees of Greatness. This is the segment where we bring one, two, three different people from various different backgrounds, careers, businesses, from startups, and people who are just kind of in the beginning of their work, all the way to people who are 10, 20, 30 plus years in their world. And the goal is to learn from all of them and just kind of learn how to adapt and adopt things that's worked for them, things that haven't worked for them, their amazing successes, but also some epic failures that we can all now appreciate. Today, I want to talk about how to cut through the noise and stand out among a thousand people. And uh, even when there's a lot of noise around you when you're working from home, this is so important because we, of all things, there's so many things that's going on, so many things that's competing for our attention. How can we create an environment and ways of working that really makes sense, right? And so we're going to touch on that from the perspective of graphics and branding, from the perspective of speaking so that others will listen and hear you, but also from the perspective of how to cut through the noise when you're at home and there's a ton of distractions. But I wanted to share with you Sahara DeVore. Sahara, by the age of 31, she had spent more than 10 years visiting 84 countries, competed in one of U.S.'s most competitive pageantry, and created the world's first and only ICF-accredited certification program, and she had been seen in Forbes, Business Insider, and USA Today, and she's going to be sharing with us how she spoke in front of a thousand people with zero preparation and how she survived it. And also she's going to be sharing how she took a solo trip through Scandinavia on her own and how you can do the same. And also the transformative power of running towards challenge, right? Running towards challenges, even if you don't feel like it. And we're also going to be sitting down with Anna Papa. Anna serves people who are looking to create a look and feel of their offerings that are often challenging for people to understand. She turns what is often thought as a disability or lack of attractiveness to engaging graphics and graphic design. So today, she is going to be talking with us about the difference between owning a business in Europe and the psychology of selling, and also the two-day stint in a job and why she left it immediately and how to make your branding work cohesively so that it conveys not only what you want but also what other people need so this is going to be uh, really really interesting also melissa brander melissa who started pocket homeschool during COVID-19 in 2020 focuses on making things a little less stressful for work from home or stay-at-home parents. Today, she talked about the persuasion technique she learned when she got permission to skip chemistry class long ago and what that taught her uh, about uh, how she can do things in a meaningful way and also why she is driven towards supporting people who have a hard time at home so important if you're working from home this is going to be interesting for you to tune into and also key elements of staying sane while still getting things done so much to unpack you guys and as you can see there are very many kind of golden nuggets that you can learn from and immediately apply it today to what you're doing so if you haven't already be sure to hit follow subscribe add or collect if you are on pandora and growth solvers, let's dive right in. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today we have some amazing stories. We have Melissa, Sahara, Anna, and all of them have some really cool things that I, I cannot wait to ask. Uh, each of them individually and have them share with you. But I thought that I'd start with uh, Sahara and uh, where uh, you you do this amazing, uh, you have this amazing business around travel, right? And I want to actually ask you whether is traveling something that you've always loved? Is it something that you used to do when growing up? Or is it something that over the course of the years, you're kind of like, you know what, I, I really just like to travel. What was kind of the the journey there? 
Yeah, thank you for asking that question. Thank you, first of all, for having me. Um, my love of travel actually developed over the years. So I am an only child from a single mom, and we didn't get to spend much time traveling or the opportunity because finances just weren't there. And we, I remember like long road trips from uh, my grandma's from Mexico, so we would visit Me- Mexico, or my grandpa's family lived in Canada, so we would visit Canada, but I was so young, I barely remember. Uh, but traveling wasn't a big part of our family. No one traveled abroad, um, so I just never really had it in me to like explore because I was not exposed to different countries or uh, the possibility of it until I I was never someone who knew exactly what I wanted to do in life. I was not the person who knew that from, you know, I wanted to graduate high school to go into a specific degree and be a certain, um, like a doctor or nurse or something. I struggled for a long time. I switched majors many times and it wasn't until my third year of university. I was actually moving changing universities and moving back across the country. And I had a very short window of time to find a new school and figure out what I wanted to study. And I came across a, a tourism and hospitality program in Chicago. And it was the only pro- school and program I applied to. And I got in and that was kind of the catalyst to me learning about different countries and the world. And I remember sitting in one of my classes, it it was an international tourism class, and we went around the room and introduced ourselves, and everyone would say where they were from and how many countries they'd been to, and I would hear a lot of foreign exchange students sharing, many from Europe, sharing how they'd been to 5, 10, 15, 20 or more countries, and I was like, wow, that's amazing, and I didn't realize, you know, how simple it is to travel from country to country, because in the U.S., we don't have neighboring countries other than Canada and Mexico. So I was like, I was envious. And but at that time, I was a broke college student as well. And I had no money to travel and I was barely able to pay my rent and buy decent food. So I something came in me and I decided that, hey, I'm going to figure out a way to save money because when I graduate from two years from that point, I wanted to be able to go backpacking, something I'd heard people doing, but never really thought it was possible for myself in my situation. And that's where it all began after university. I set off to go see the world. Yeah, this is so interesting. I think you brought up an interesting observation in that people do and having again, of of course, spoken to numerous people from different countries, they do have kind of different, I guess, uh, perception of travel, right? Like, I think for you, you brought up a good point in that in America, in the US, really, because there's this great divide that is the body of ocean around the country. It's kind of it is not as uh, maybe as typical, like, it's not really something that most people grow up doing. I mean, sure, certain people do. But, um, you know, you mentioned that in Europe, people backpack all the time like I mean we have a resident and maybe not even resident real European here Anna and um, you is this do do you find this growing up like everyone there's a lot of kind of travel culture do people love adventure or is it are you kind of maybe perhaps the anomaly where you're like well I didn't really see that actually Uh, yes I think in Europe it's more common to actually visit other countries and just because we have like really small countries so it's really easy to go and uh, growing up, I remember in vacation, we usually went for vacation, like in uh, to sea. So that it was another country. And uh, yeah, I, I never, for me, it felt normal. It feels normal yeah. to go and visit other countries. And uh, you visit them as a student with family, holidays. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's <laughs> now when yeah. I said, yeah, when Sarah said it's, uh, it's not that uh, normal in the uh, US because U.S. it's big. You have states. Right. And so then it's like not that easy to visit other countries. 
Yeah, and I think the and land mass, I think you brought up a good point because the land mass is really so sprawled anyway within the U.S., right? But in Europe, yes. to your point, Anna, it's so interesting because all the countries are so close that, I mean, I've have had friends who's like, oh, yeah, I, I was in this country and then I walked even or took the train or whatever and then ended up in another country. And I'm like, that is so nice. I mean, like, how cool is it that you can just hop from one country to another within a day? Yeah, you can yeah. visit another country for the day in, in yeah. Europe. It's uh, and I I think also with the States is that, well, two things. One, the cost. It's expensive just to travel around the U.S. if you get a flight, you know. Yeah. So it's in our mindsets that travel is expensive. Or what we tend to do in our culture is take luxurious vacations. And that can, that's like maybe one mm-hmm. time a year family expense. And it's just ingrained in us that, you know, you have to either be of a certain status to travel a lot or that it's just expensive and it's not something you can incorporate more often in your, your lifestyle. And the second point is that it's also a lot of European cultures and other cultures around the world travels encouraged. So in school, they're encouraged to study abroad. That's not forced upon and not that it's forced, but it's not that common in the States. It's like, well, you can take, you're required to take like one foreign language and then you could drop out and never have to think about another country ever again. So (laughs) it's a very different mindset when it comes to, and I think that's where, when my classroom was filled with foreign exchange students who had the opportunity to study abroad or to, you know, venture outside of their country to explore another, um, another culture and destination. That's something that we don't integrate nearly enough into our culture. Yeah, I think I can totally echo that, particularly now having seen, well, personally, because I I moved, I was kind of that foreign exchange student in some ways, right, even though it wasn't that program. Um, And I came here under very different circumstances. But I mean, that move was not so out of the question, I guess, right, for, for me, because I think where I grew up, it's like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, you go and check out other countries, their neighbors or whatever, and even the U.S., which is kind of far. Uh, but now having two kids on my own there, I mean, I have I haven't heard anything in their classroom where it's like, oh, this is the world geography. This is where Sweden is. And that's why they're, you know, next to this country or what like that's not. And I think it is so interesting. I think even as we draw parallels even in the in the world of business or career right a lot of times we're so like oh this is the only way to do it when in fact no like tons of other people are taking millions of different routes towards this one destination and they're all doing it we're just not doing it because we think it's just this one way now speaking of traveling though melissa here you have is it you also have kids is that right yeah, that's okay. correct. I have two boys. So have you traveled at all with the kids? I mean, how old are the kids? Are they kind of grade school or? Uh, yeah, my, my oldest is eight and my youngest is six. And um, actually, my, my husband is from Canada. So we've been fortunate to be able to travel with them several times back to Canada. And that's um, a whole different experience traveling with kids because I had traveled a bunch on my own yeah. um, before kids. Like I, I did a semester. Well, not a semester. I did a summer program. Uh, where I studied abroad in South Korea. So I had I had done like the whole travel on my own thing, but with kids it's completely different. They oh um they have a lot of opinions about it for the for the first. Um <laughs> but um it it's it's different but not necessarily bad because it's amazing to see the world through their eyes and to take them on trips and to see them explore and see these new places and um because we homeschool, we have a lot of flexibility that we can take a longer trip if we want to. We can be gone for like two weeks in the middle of the school year if we want to. And so that's been really cool to incorporate more travel into our life. And um, I feel really lucky um, to be able to have that flexibility. Yeah, this is, I think, to your point, it is true. I used to hate I abhor traveling with my kids. I used to hate it so much, but that's probably because like you, I had spent my, like, I mean, dozens of miles or thousands, I don't know how many, but it's a lot and I'm doing it on my own so that I'm used to like, oh, when I get to the plane, I'm just going to like kick back or whatever. Right. But then like when you're your kids, you're not, it's like, it's work. The whole time is work and you're stressed out because every other, you know, you're worried that other people, you're keeping other people up. 
Um, but I find it so interesting because in Europe, the times that I've been, for instance, in Europe, and I remember I was um, I was uh, I was climbing up a certain trail in Switzerland, and and people were bringing their kids, and uh, they brought their pets, you know, and none of them were making a fuss. Like, and I'm, I was kind of curious to see that, and I wonder if maybe the um the way the rearing is slightly different i don't know and anna you can probably weigh in on that i don't know if you've seen this just around you um and uh and maybe the approach is slightly different i don't know maybe the the outlook is also and maybe it's built into the lifestyle perhaps even right such that it's probably yeah yes probably it's i i don't have kids so i don't know how it's to travel with kids (laughs) But uh, yes, you see here family going traveling and um, in Europe, we use a lot of trains and because they're more comfortable than the planes. Uh, and probably the kids are, yeah, the parents just like, they're just like, what the kids yeah. to do? Yeah, just more like, relaxed, be okay. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think so. Yeah. I think it's, a, I think they're more relaxed. And then if yeah, it's probably the lifestyle. If you travel a lot, if you traveled as a kid with your parents, then you're probably going to take your kids traveling too. So then I guess it's a bit more, it's nothing new. Yeah. Well, and I, what I love about this topic is that basically what we're doing is like, we're turning what would have been a challenge or an obstacle into opportunity, maybe even, or triumph. Right. And um, I wanted to touch on, because Sahara, you mentioned you travel to or throughout Scandinavia almost on your own. Right. Mm -hmm. And perhaps when that happens, some people are like, wait, why would you have gone on your own? And this was a cruise. Is that right? Yeah, well, so I've traveled over 84 countries solo, and I I took one cruise solo, and that was to Scandinavia, so that's when I got to go to Sweden, um, and I, but I've always chose, like I said, I'm an only child, but I, I knew that the world was going to be able to teach me and show me things and sculpt me into someone I hoped to have been. Um, so when I left at the age of 22 to travel for 10 years on and off, I didn't know what was to come, but, or what I would learn, but I, at the age of 22, who knows who they are or what they want out of life. Right. And so I knew that there was a whole world out there for me to learn. And I didn't want, because, because I'm an only child, I never had to have someone with me or know what it feels like to depend on someone else or have the comfort of company. So that was never something that hindered me, which can be uh, a hindrance for a lot of others who don't go on solo trips because they're used to, maybe they grew up with siblings or maybe they grew up in a big family or a lot of friends where they always are used to having someone there. As myself, I knew that if I didn't have to be with anyone, that opened more doors for me to meet new people, go at my own time frame, my own um, pace, and just to experience the world in my own terms versus traveling with someone else. Yeah. And I love that what you're, you know, I think this is a great example of, I mean, I remember a time when I was kind of like, I don't know about the cruise thing. Like I wasn't so sure. Cause I was like, I don't know if I want to sit next to somebody like every single night, you know, like there's certain blocks almost that I have to unpack and take away. But then like, once I kind of shift it and go, well, you know what, it's an opportunity, like you were saying, to meet other people or to do certain things that I don't get to do, right? And all of these things. And I love how like Anna, for instance, in her business, um, you know, speaking of opportunity, you're you're with your design background and creative design. Um, I love how what you're doing is basically, you know, you're taking uh, things that are maybe typically not that exciting or whatever, and then putting them into and packaging them into like this amazing, um, you know, almost, of course, graphically beautiful, but almost something that people would kind of be like, oh, I wonder what's that or what's interesting, you know, should I look at this or not, and at least grabs their attention. What would your recommendation be? Because a lot of people who are listening here, of course, are business owners, entrepreneurs, and some of them are solopreneurs doing things on their own, right? Like if you can give them maybe one, two, three things real quick that, um, you know, people can do to elevate and up-level even just, I don't know, 
not even just the logo, but like, let's say your website, like what should they have? Like at least two to three things. Is it coloring? Like, what do you, what do you go for typically to begin with? Probably the most important is uh, a clear message because as much as I, uh, I do design and I love design, I think if you don't have a clear message that people cannot connect with you, it's everything that you have around, even if it's really beautiful, it's like a bit useless. So a clear message, that's the first thing that people should uh, invest in. Um, then a second, if we talk about the website, it's um, a goal. If you have a goal, then you know how to build a website. You know, you need to know what you want people to do on your website. Like if they arrive there, what is it to subscribe to a newsletter? Is it to buy a product? Is it just to uh, follow you on Instagram? And then if you have a goal, then you know what are the steps that um, you need to build. What's the flow of the of the person visiting your website? Um, and then the third, yeah, colors. Make it uh, user, <laughs> not user-friendly, user but make it eye-friendly. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because it's, um, I think probably... it's a big, or not even like colors. It's more like as well, like accessibility. It's people, um, recently I'm... Um, I'm also doing a bit of auditing websites. I'm looking at websites and then I get feedback and stuff like that. So uh, recently I saw on a website and it's um, the text, for example, it's on colors. It's a color text on other colors. So you can't really read it. Right. So people is going to like miss it a bit. It's going to like scroll and not going to read. So yeah. um, make sure you have good contracts good yeah. uh, size of the letters and yeah. good message. Well, and I, what I love the most about what you just said was that uh, what is the goal? I think a lot of people tend to, and I don't mm -hmm. know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, and I could probably learn a little bit about this as well, is I, I find that a lot of people try to do too many things within mm. just one one step, right? Yes. Like, it's like, oh, That's it's an e-commerce website it's also this and that and and you're just kind of like well what what's going on so to your point the simpler almost like the better right is kind of yeah. the the yeah i don't think that's a big problem today like everyone wants to do everything and then forget to make a priority and if you have like a salad there people is gonna eat they don't pick. <laughs> they just like either don't understand it and they're gonna leave or they're gonna pick what they think they want like if you want something from people make it clear make it simple don't give too much choices because people mm. it's they a bit takes time to choose right so just, then they can lose the interest right interesting right so it's just like almost, yeah. almost like i think um who was talking about oh uh, ramit of course ramit said he, he talks about clarity uh versus mm -hmm. cleverness which is you should priority uh prioritize clarity of course which i love um now uh melissa i am curious though speaking of clarity because you were you work with um with what you do pockethomeschool.com you're Working with a lot of, um, you know, I think people who <laughs> now having experience homeschooling, uh, there can be a lot of, uh, you know, unclear things that's happening. I'm like, what, what is happening here? The kids are running around, they're like throwing food all over. So, um, you know, walk us through why you started uh, this concept to begin with. Was it something that you, I mean, it sounds like you're doing it as well on your own and your family. Like, why, why did you start this, this concept? Um, well, my kids, um, they've always been homeschooled. I know like for a lot of people, they're very new to the experience of homeschooling. Um, but my kids, they, for them, it's normal. They have never been to school and know anything different. And I was just watching um, all my friends and family trying to navigate it and trying to figure out how to do it. And then I was remembering myself when I got started and how um, intimidating it seems and how that like, a lot of people, if you, like, I knew hardly anyone who homeschooled, a couple of people, but it was not like the the norm. And I didn't know other people who homeschooled. So I was getting started and I had questions and I didn't know who I could ask or who would be a good resource or who would, um, like, there were a couple of times where I remember I was telling people that we were thinking about homeschool and I would get a really negative response from them. And so I know when you're getting started, how hard it is and how um, overwhelming it can feel and how 
I wanted people to know that they were able to homeschool and that there were people out there who were going to help them and support them along the way. And so um, I kind of was just already doing that with people that I met in in my life and, and telling them that they were capable of homeschooling and here were some resources they could use and here was how to get started. And um, so eventually that sort of just transformed into, into me making it a thing that I do um, with intention instead of just like running into somebody in the grocery store or at the library and talking with them about it. I just uh, decided to make it more intentional outreach to people who are looking for homeschooling resources. So you mentioned actually just earlier on that you were getting some resistance or some people seem to have gotten some resistance. What was what was that about? Is, is it from their families or from their community about, oh, you shouldn't be homeschooling your kids? Is that kind of the, the takeaway? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people, um, they're their family doesn't necessarily understand it. For a lot of people, they went to school and school was fine for them. And they feel like it, it's just the, it's just what you do. And so why would you, why would you want to do something different? Um, and the people, a lot of people ask about socialization, which is a whole nother thing. And of course, even for us now during COVID, that looks different than it used to look just a year ago. Um, so I think there's just a lot of unknowns. And if you don't know anyone who's doing it, it it can be hard to feel like it's something that you can do successfully, especially when all you have is one model of how it works and you don't have anyone else to show you a different way it works. Mm. So what I love about this is that you actually meant touched on, okay, so because there's a lot of uh, question marks, right, confusion and, and lack of, I guess, examples around that particular model, then people get discouraged about, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this because there's not enough, right? And to who else? I mean, have you guys, uh, Sahara or Anna, do you guys find that this was, this may have happened as well in maybe the travel or the design space where, you know, you're trying to do something, you or anyone you know in your space, and then they're like, well, but then, you know, I've gotten this kind of resistance and I'm not so sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what happened to me when I started my travel coaching business. Um, uh, I started my business about two years ago and two years ago, you didn't see the words travel coaching anywhere. And everyone, every time they did, and I still get that now, like, what, what do you mean? Isn't that, don't you mean a travel agent or travel advisor? I'm like, no, it's very, very different. And here's how, and that's what sparked me to, and I've always been, I mean, you can probably see patterns in my life. I've always been someone who goes towards challenge versus runs from it. And I, decided a very early on in my business, when I became a travel coach, I specialize in wellness, uh, travel for corporate wellness and business travelers. But I realized that there was not really anyone doing what I was doing for travel coaches. And I spent so many years traveling the globe with a degree in hospitality and tourism, unsure of how I could actually make an impact with my love and knowledge of travel in a way that felt right for me, despite any other jobs or careers that existed. And I said, there must be more to, to travel careers in blogging and bookings. And so I took travel coaching under my wing and I created the Travel Coach Network. So I built a platform, uh, a network for other ambitious travelers, passionate travelers to find what is travel coaching to them and how they can make a career out of their personal travel experiences and knowledge that they love so much about travel. Every one of us knows, just like any coach in general, everyone knows something different. Everyone helps people with something different. Same thing for travel coaching. Uh, So I, when you were talking, Melissa, when you were talking about that, the resistance and especially now how you mentioned, Melissa, that you had this idea before you were doing homeschooling and people had pushback, but then COVID came and now even the socialization aspect of it is like, well, you're like, well, duh, like I told you, it's the same thing for, it's like, who needs me now? It's the same thing for travel and travel coaching. There was a lot of pushback for to do anything outside of the norm in travel, but COVID shook every industry up and allowed us to, in the travel space, to bring creative and innovative ideas and thoughts and perspectives to the table and propelled topics like well-being and purposeful travel and transformative travel to the forefront 
versus something that would have taken slow progression over the years had COVID not come, despite how terrible COVID has been. Yeah. And what I actually most love about what you just said is basically you, cause you didn't shy away from it. You were like, Oh, I spent years, you know, like trying all these things and I didn't like any of them. And you were kind of honest with yourself, right? You're like, this is not something that I care about, right? Like I wanted to do this other thing. I don't know what it is, but you're kind of consistently, you know, almost like on peeling that layer of onion and just every single day and definitely years you go, okay, I'm a bit closer. I'm a bit closer. This might be it. That might be it. Right. And I think that's the encouragement on the podcast for sure. Whenever people come on the podcast, we're like, yeah, for sure. Like this is something that we need to encourage is that just because it's not clear right now, doesn't mean that you're not heading to that direction. Right. And in it kind of just following through with that passion is really just and- Timing is everything. Timing Absolutely. is is everything. If you have a a passion for something, you don't have to be 100% clear on the vision that you have for it. If you can just keep on with the consistency of leading little by little with that passion, timing and the universe will send you what you need at the right time for every single business and every single person uh, and entrepreneur. It it's as long as you believe enough in, in what you feel that you want to do. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that we've all kind of found this different journey and, and kind of wiggler around a roundabout way almost to where we want to go and maybe still so right in the years to come. And Anna, what I love about your journey is that you mentioned after university or here in the U.S., we say after college, um, you know, you said that you wanted to leave design and then you got a job as a waitress and then you're like, eh. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes, um, I've been studying design for a long time and um, it was my master. I finished my master. So it was like, I don't know, seven years of design, like something like that. So it felt like my brain was tired <laughs> and uh, it's it felt like it felt like so much that like I can't take it I, I don't want to do design any longer I just need a break I need I, I need to go away from it so then after I finished I decided like yeah I'm gonna just get the job like every other person and I started to search for jobs and I uh, found a job as a um, waitress I went there two days <laughs> I was like, yeah, nope, <laughs> that's not my thing. <laughs> what was the turning point? What was kind of like the moment when you're like, this is not at all something that I care about? I don't know. It's, it's, it was, it was like, I didn't even call back there to say like, I'm not coming back. It was like, <laughs> Bye. yeah. and I never told, I don't think like, I don't think many of my friends know about it. It was like, I <laughs> It was a break. And then I realized it's like, I don't need a break. I was just like, I needed a day off probably or Ah. a week off or a month off from my university or something like that. But I felt I just pushed everything to the design industry. And that was actually, I was just tired of studies probably and master thesis and everything else. So it was interesting to realize that I, I do want to do design. That was like, a moment that I I know I made the right choices till like that point that I I want to uh, to study design and then I worked so hard for it and then I was like yeah I I'm in the right place so yeah that and was I love nice I, it's so funny how you're you're like oh you know what it's uh, it's also because I was so tired and you know I think this is kind of like the other thing that we talk about in the podcast a lot is the decision making the process of decision making right mm-hmm. and Sahara mentioned timing matters I think for you Anna what's interesting is that well I was just needing like a day or two maybe a weekend or a week and um, I shouldn't have made like you know big life changes life changing yeah. decisions when I needed actually just a micro little kind of, you know, like a quick break almost. And I think we often in our journey with whatever it is that we do in our work, we often kind of forget, oh, you know what, this is actually, this is only, this is going to be localized to just this specific time versus this is a bigger problem that's going to be a problem later, right? So just kind of having that distance and being able to be aware of, okay, you know what, I have to kind of separate this almost. And the decision making has to be somewhat separate. But I find it hilarious that you're like two days and you're like, but I love that just clarity of like, no, I'm not doing this. Because it's true. I think I've spent like years in something that I'm like, I, I, why did I even do this? Right? 
So I love that clarity. And I love also the boldness of, I'm not going to tell even anyone <laughs> about this move. Yeah. Restaurant work is not for everybody. I actually spent the, before my travel, everything traveling, I spent years in the restaurant industry. I actually, I absolutely loved it, but I completely understand why you would hate it. It's <laughs> not for everyone. It's very difficult. I tend to work in, I worked in like really like fancier, busier, um, expensive restaurants in downtown Chicago. And it, and it honestly, I think it was a huge driving factor for my, my escapes because it messes with your head so much. Your sleep schedule's off, your eat schedule's off. You do nothing but focus on that, especially if you're making a lot of money, it becomes like a habit. Like, sure, I'll pick up more shifts. Sure, I'll work ah, more. Sure, I'll cover for you. Sure, I'll, I'll take the last cut or, you know what I mean? So it's it becomes like an addiction in the restaurant industry and it, it because it can be so lucrative, at least in the US. And it's, uh, but it definitely played a huge toll. And I'm still last, I think the last restaurant job I had was I think four or five years ago. And I'm still personally affected by the habits I learned or obtained during the, the bad habits of being in the restaurant industry. And, and I'm not as worse as what many people endure in yeah. it because so this it drives you crazy. This is interesting that you had mentioned that, oh, you know, like it tends to, because it's a machine and a beast of its own and you tend to kind of like, it's like a magnet, like you draw into it and it's without even realizing you're like, oh, of course, yeah, I'll pick up more shifts when in fact you should be sleeping or whatever, taking care you of yourself. put yourself first, yeah. Yeah, it's, which is so interesting. in the restaurant industry, like it's, it creates a lot of bad habits in people because it can, it, it's a, it can be a fun environment with your friends and meeting people and you can make make good money, but it's, um, like you said, it's a machine and it can suck you in. Yeah. So I talk about, this is so interesting that you touched on this, uh, you know, Anna and Sahara, because this is kind of like, you know, understanding whether, and I talk about this on the podcast a lot, is that our ownership and claiming ownership over the things that we're doing versus having the things that we're doing, claiming ownership over our lives, right? And I find this particularly true. Um, I mean, Melissa, you're in the family realm. This is so, because these are like, you know, live human beings that are doing things without you prompting it sometimes. And, you know, you have to reconcile with, okay, I want to be a good business owner. I want to be a good parent or spouse or whatever, right? Sister, brother, whatever. And um, there's this other thing that's happening and I have to be able to reconcile all of these. Now, what would you say to like people who are listening and who are like working from home and also, you know, the pandemic parenting, perhaps like, what would you share with them as far as like, perhaps one thing that you're like, okay, this is something we need to keep in mind. I think um, it's important to, I know that everything feels like you don't necessarily have time to do all the things that you possibly need to do, especially as a parent and working from home. I have a lot of friends now who are trying to navigate working from home and helping their kids with virtual schooling. And it, it, and it's a lot. It's, it's a lot for anyone. And so I think you need to remember that it's a lot and not be too hard on yourself, but also see where you can carve out those little bits of time for yourself. Like since this all happened, and I used to have a lot of things that I did outside the house that were my my time for myself. Like I used to sing in a choir, but that's not happening right now um, with COVID. So I've just been taking a walk in the morning and it's it's like 10 minutes, but it makes a world of difference to my mental health. And it would be easy for me to say that I don't have time for that. There's always a million other things that I could be doing. I could be working on my business. I could be helping my kids with something. I could be cleaning the house. I, there's like a million demands on your time. So if you don't prioritize taking a little bit of that time to take care of yourself, it, it's, it's easy to have it not happen at all. Yeah. And I love that you actually touched on, I think this is important even beyond, you know, the pandemic when we do find a new normal and everybody does go back to whatever it is that we're going to be doing in the next few years um, is, is the understanding that, you know, because you're the machine that runs everything, like you do have to kind of protect that. Right. And, um, and that is so, I think so, so crucial in any 
in any point. I think also what's interesting though, if you're competing with other people in your space, right? If your 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 space is maybe saturated, there are a lot of people who are doing the same thing. This is also important to not to look to yourself and to look to your kind of immediate, okay, this is what's important for me today. Other people are doing that. That's fine. Not a problem. I am curious to hear, though, because Sahara, you've been in the world of pageantry, which I don't know if this is. Is this something that uh, is is aired in Europe? Anna, are you familiar with this world at all? Okay. Well, (laughs) Well, it is. I mean, it's the like the Miss Universe pageant, stuff like that. Like it's global. Um. But no, like, like I said, I run towards challenge when opportunity comes. Uh, so I, I received the opportunity years ago when I was in university to um, something I'd never done before, which is compete in a state pageant. Um, and everything that I try to do, I try to, I don't do, I didn't do it because I dreamed of being a pageant queen by no means possible. I didn't do anything after in it, but you learn things, you learn how to work with people, you learn what kind of person you want to be. I got to be exposed to, you know, how people work under pressure and in competition with one another, um, especially women, um, you know, whether they support each other and all of that has helped me be the, a better coach myself for those in my network. And even just being a, a better person to know like what, matters most to me and what doesn't and how to take things like competition or uh, judgment as a way to grow versus taking it as something that makes you feel bad. Because when you're in business, just like Melissa and Anna, and you feel like you're comparing yourself to others or other people's businesses, or someone gives you bad feedback All of that are things that happened in pageants. I was standing in front of judges on stage in a bikini and people are judging me. So, and the girls around are judging, but how can I take that, what I learned in that experience and integrate that into other aspects of my life? So eventually when I started my business, things like that has helped me. Yeah. And it is so true, right? To your point that everything that we've done in the past, it all leads to, you know, where we are right now. And even some of the stuff that we maybe, uh, I mean, pageantry is lovely, but even for me, I remember about things that I'm like, oh, it's hard for me. It was hard for me to move halfway around the world on my own as a teenager. That sucked. I didn't know the language. I didn't know the culture, all of that. But it is interesting that all of those do inform what we're doing. And I think to your point, even just being able to to face these judgment, whether that's real or not, or whether that's, you know, direct you know, three judges staring at you, or maybe even like, uh, I guess, submissions or proposals. I know in the creative world, Anna, a lot of people do this where, um, you know, they would submit a work or you know, a portfolio or whatever for freelancing or what have you. What are some things that you you notice maybe some creatives do that you're like, well, actually, it would have been better if it's like like this when they're submitting for let's just say a competition. I know that online there's several different, um, you know, platforms where a lot of people flock to and they go, oh, I want that specific project. Like what's your approach on things like that? I mean, in design world, it's all a comparison. It's like you can, that's how you got like all, that's how you get all the clients. In a way they compare you with other designers. And uh, what I see most, it's, designers it's it's easy to catch the eye it's easy to do beautiful like beautiful stuff or like flashy or moving animations and it's very nice and it's interactive with you and uh, people get very attracted to that one but if you go uh, more like deeper in the design a design needs to work and you don't if you don't know design or you're not in the in that field you don't um, you don't catch that 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 design doesn't work. That's like the real problem that happens. Even we as designers, we build, we we do a website and it feels like it's working. It feels like everything is good. Once you start to develop it and actually do that website, then you catch all the mistakes and all the things that you forgot. Mm. That's like the biggest problem when in competitions when, or when uh, people are choosing a designer or a work, uh, you get caught in the beauty in 
the flashiness in the things and you don't think about like beside it like how it would work does it work does it function at all maybe it's like it's when you think like sometimes I look at the signs and then it's it's just not working and it's useless and I I'm, I get so mad about that like those designers that they use their skills just to make beautiful wireframes or like artboards and then people people buy that people <laughs> hire those designers and like but it's not working it's like can it's it's not fair it's not fair that designers will sell and will do that things it's just yeah Right. So you're saying there has to be that balance, basically, of, yes, the aesthetics have to be great, particularly in the creative space. The aesthetics have to be great. But there's also this absolute, very important element of functionality, where if the two doesn't match, you're you're off kilter. You're like walking on one leg almost, right? Which is kind of interesting. You don't walk (laughs) at all. Falling off. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I always like, if I need to choose between like beautiful, like aesthetic and function. Function is the first. Because if it doesn't function, you can do you can't do anything with it. Like beautiful, you can always improve a product. If you have a working product, a working website or doesn't an app, you can make it beautiful when you actually understand how it works and how people are using it. If you make a beautiful app and it doesn't work, you're never gonna get like customers there right so So i think what's what's function first yeah what's important in what you just mentioned is basically when you're looking at your work right whether that's a product a service or whatever it is in your case of course it's a product um then you need to that thing whatever it is that you're creating has to have a life afterwards where people are getting you know obviously an invaluable service out of it right they're getting something out of it it works for them it's useful it's function um but then versus oh this is just pretty 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 nice 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 but then it doesn't work and it just stops or maybe it has like a little bit of leg but then you know years later it just doesn't work I think this is true in all um, domains where you do have to kind of consider Mm -hmm. that and I I hope that you I hope that you lead your marketing with exactly what you just said because that's what sets you apart versus other all the there's tons and tons of designers out there. And what you said is what is going to attract people to you because you're so right. It's from someone who's not, uh, I mean, of course, as an entrepreneur, you want your website to be beautiful. You want your app or program, whatever it is you have to be beautiful. And that's what people are buying because we're not experts in in design like you guys are, but Mm -hmm. you know, the importance of functionality but as the entrepreneur, we we have the idea, like we know what we want out of our website. We know, we hope that when people visit it, they sign up for something or they buy our program or whatnot. But we don't know that the route from point A to point Z, you guys do. Yeah. And so there's a huge missing piece when we choose designers. So if someone were to tell me that information first, and say, but it's also going to be pretty. So don't worry about that. Like I would totally buy it, you know? So yeah. And this is so, I'm so glad that you brought that up Sahara, because I, I remember a time when I was kind of on the customer side of the design, like I was looking for something to get done. And then I kind of, you know, of course I used the, one of the online, I can't even remember what website it was, but I went there there are multiple different creatives there. They have their portfolio. It's all, it all looks great. And I kind of share the criteria and the parameters. I'm like, oh, I want this for whatever. And then of course the submissions all start to roll in. And, and uh, I mean, 80% of them, I'm kind of like, well, this is obviously a not going to work. I'm so glad that you brought that up, Anna. Like this is not going to work. And, um, but the ones who stood out is like, yes, they kind of, they master the element of, this is what they need for it to work. But also, here's my signature. This is what I can add to make it even more interesting. And um, and what I love about even just uh, looking at your website, and I was like, I'm like, oh, I get it. This is cool. This is amazing. There's clarity to it. There's like this this theme, right? And just kind of the understanding that everything is is uh, continuous. There seems to be like that clarity, which I which I um, absolutely love. And I think speaking of working this is true as well with melissa in homeschooling right i hear a lot of advice because i mean of course being a parent 
you hear tons of advice you hear everybody says, oh, you have to do this, that. And this is true as well in entrepreneurship. People are like, oh, you got to add value here and there. And I'm like, wow, really? Like we don't have time for that. And so it's kind of with, with parenting, I think this is true as well, where you're like, well, that's not really, you know, I, that's not going to work for me. Like what's your approach uh, to, to the kind of that contention? Uh, yeah, I think something that's really wonderful about homeschooling is the ability to um, make it totally flexible to what's going to work with your family. But a lot of people, when they start homeschooling, they, I mean, there's lots of homeschool programs out there and they get really attracted to the beautiful, shiny homeschool programs. And there's nothing wrong with them. I love them. I, I happen to use one that's beautiful and shiny, but I don't necessarily think that the one that I use is the right fit for everyone. You have to figure out what is the right fit for your family. And I also think that there's this trap that people sometimes get into where they're looking for the perfect one. So they find something Mm -hmm. and it has like a minor problem. They pick out a curriculum and it has like a minor problem and they're like, but there has to be some like elusive, perfect curriculum out there, right? But the reality is that everyone is designed for different reasons. And if you are using the one that fits with what your family needs, that's going to be the best one for you. But it may not be the best one for another family who has different needs. And I think that's true in business as well. All I mean, there are lots of different tools out there, but they all are designed for a specific reason and purpose. And you have to figure out the ones that fit with what you're doing as a business owner and your reason and purpose and not necessarily chase after something else just because it's new and shiny and 500 other people are like, this is the best tool. But if the best tool is not the right tool, then it's not going to be effective for you. Well, also is just having that uh, adapting that mentality that, okay, yes, not one thing might be perfect for you, for us, but then we are all kind of this amazing, uh, I guess, an innovator in some ways of adapting and adopting. Of course, you can use two to three different types of methods of whatever it is, homeschooling, running a business, creating this beautiful design. And you don't have to just stick to just, I'm just this, of course, I mean, you can be purist about it. But I think some of the best creatives and definitely entrepreneurs out there, you do see this ability to be like, oh, you know what? This is what I like about this approach. I'm going to take that and I'm going to take this other one and I'm going to see what happens when I when I combine the two or three or whatever it is and make it my own, which I think is is so interesting. It's almost like an organic improvisation of your work, right? And taking ownership of that. But speaking of improvisation, Sahara, you've actually literally improved in front of, is it a thousand people that you've improved in front of? <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was in the beginning stages of my business. I attended a, um, a really, really big conference, uh, for business travel. And, um, I, took the opportunity to get onto stage and it kind of just all worked out. Um, and I went to a, a massive uh, convention where it was filled with anyone you can think of that mattered in the hospitality and tourism industry was there from airlines and hotels and TMC, like travel management companies and destination companies, everything booking.com name, the big name, they were there. And since it was my first time, there was a, a luncheon. So even though I think there was like 7,000 attendees, about a thousand joined, attended the luncheon. And I walk into the room by myself with my new uh, approach to uh, business travel well-being. And this was over like a year and a half ago or two years ago. And uh, they're just like showing you like, oh, go find a table, go find a big round table and sit sit down. I'm like, okay. So I happened to get kind of moved towards the front of the room and there was a keynote speaker and, uh, she is a famous author who has a background in improv in Chicago, actually. And I, since I was in a a corner table in the very front row, I had, I was closer to the stage and I saw improv has always been something that I was interested in because I love comedy but I'm so no comedian. My, I'm, I'm no comedian myself by any means. I can definitely not do it by myself on stage. But she integrated that into uh, her presentation on being fearless. 
And I took, and she called up three people first and I was so nervous. I was like, I'm not going to go, but I, but so when the three people went up there, I, they got to introduce themselves and what they did in business. And when I heard that, I was like, this is a huge opportunity for me to say who I am in front of a thousand people who I want to connect with. And I heard her say, if you miss this opportunity, don't worry later on. Um, I'm going to have one more person come up. So I was anticipating that her to say that the whole time. So she finally did. And before I can even process it, my legs are running towards the stage and I got up there from the spotlight and I was like, crap, I got up here and now what? So I was, my knees, I had a skirt on. So my knees were like shaking and you can see them. And I was sweating and she, we, we did a really fun improv skit and it was the best thing that I could have done. Like you're talking about decision-making. It was the best decision I could have made because that was a three or four day event. And every single day from the moment I stepped off the stage at the end of that presentation, I had the head of the organizations, the, the convention come to me, these, a lot of people throughout the thing for uh, come and say, Hey, weren't you the girl who went on stage? Hey, what's travel coaching? Hey, what is that about that you're talking about? the whole, whole three days. So it, it was a way for me to break barriers. Um, that would have, I would have had up to be intimidated to approach, uh, these companies in the first place. It was a really great beginning, uh, of a conversation starter. They would stop me throughout the whole trade show rooms and say, Hey, weren't you the girl who did improv? Like, Hey, come talk to us. So it was, uh, I really challenged everyone to step outside of their comfort zone and just do things. Yeah. What was it? What was going through your brain when you kind of you're on the stage already and you're like, oh my goodness, I have to say something. Like, was there like even that? Or you're just kind of like, oh, I'm just gonna start blurting things out. Well, she she prompted uh what the the improv skit was. So what it was is that we had to tell a story each she did it with me, and we used the letters of the alphabet and we rotated like a I said a word that started with A, then oh, she said a letter okay. word that started with B. And she made it harder by starting by in the middle of the alphabet. So not only you're thinking what letter comes next in the alphabet, you're also <laughs> thinking about like what to say. And then you're thinking about there's a thousand eyes on me, this bright lights in my face. Um, I am shaking and probably not very funny. Are they going to like me? So all these things are going through your head. And I remember at the end of it, I didn't realize we were finished. And I go, uh, I said, oh, we're done. Or I did it. And she thought that was so funny that I said that she was like, yes. Like, it was just like a a summary of like what I was feeling. So I was like, oh, we're done. Like I did it. <laughs> did it. Well, what, what's really cool though, because you mentioned like starting with different letters of the alphabet. And I, what I really appreciate about improv for sure, I mean, I'm not a comedy you know, specialist or expert by any means, but from just my observation, you do kind of tend to see that every situation when you're improving, it always take on like this, this different, uh, I guess, form that you didn't expect. Originally, perhaps you thought, always. oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this. It's going to come out this way. But then inevitably, it always comes out in a different shape, right? <laughs> which is so cool. Because because you're, you're allowing that organic space to kind of uh, contribute in some ways, right, um, to, to the process, which I think is also important in, for sure, in business and even just getting ahead in your career, sometimes even just to, like, kind of like Sahara, just going for certain things before you even know something really helps you kind of reveal the next step. And sometimes it is just by fire. You just don't know what you're going to do. And then that's how, oh, that's how it's going to turn out. Okay, sure. We'll keep going then. Uh, but speaking of just kind of organically going uh, with the flow. So Melissa, you were saying that you have uh, somehow you were, okay, you wanted to do this thing where you get to be on the board, but you have a chemistry class and yeah. uh, you got out of it, which is just, I mean, it's just every student dream, I would say. <laughs> But how did you do that? Yeah, um, I I was a nerdy kid, a really nerdy kid. Um, and I saw in the local paper that they um, had 
uh, like every so often for like three months, they had different community members come sit on their editorial board. And I was really interested in um, government and local news and things like that. So I just said, well, why not apply? Right. I didn't it didn't even ever occur to me that they were mostly looking for adults and I was just a teenager. Um, but the, after I applied, they said, well, we've never had a high school student do it before. We meet on Wednesdays during the middle of the day at lunchtime. Um, if you can get permission from your school to go out of class and, and get to our and you can get yourself to our building, then we'll have you as a community member. So then I had to think like okay, so at lunchtime, I have chemistry class, and I have to now figure out if my teacher will let me, if my school will let me. So I ended up talking to a bunch of different people, and my chemistry teacher, he said it was fine, and I ended up having a study hall during another period where they had the same chemistry class. So on Wednesdays, when I was skipping chemistry, I would just skip my study hall and go to chemistry later in the day. But it, it, it just didn't occur to me that that wasn't for me. I was I, I, I knew that I loved it and that it was a really great opportunity. So I just said, well, the worst they can say is no. So I just sort of went for it and it ended up being a really wonderful uh, experience for me. And I learned a lot and I got to do something that I was really passionate about. And that's probably one of the best things that I ended up doing when I was a teenager. Yeah, and I think my takeaway from that story is really that you've you've discovered this other thing that oh, really my passion is X, or really I'm I'm more into this by actually maybe doing or not doing this other thing, right? Which is kind of cool. And sometimes that is how we discover things. Is um, kind of like Anna with waitressing. You're like, no, I'm not doing that. I really care more about that. But it's not until we do this other thing that maybe was felt like a total waste at the time, but because you did it, then you're like, oh, I'm much clearer in this other um, in this other uh, pursuit, right? Which is so cool. Now, um, uh, I wanted to share with the audience, I will be sharing information on Melissa, Sahara, and Anna in the show notes. Do go check them out. Obviously, they have some really interesting stories and things to share with you. So go ahead and check out uh, the show notes and, um, and check all of them out. But uh, we are coming to the conclusion of this uh, episode. I want to thank Melissa, Sahara, and Anna for joining me. It has been a total blast. You guys are awesome. And uh, But yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks, guys. If you haven't already, be sure to hit follow, subscribe, add, or collect if you are on Pandora and Growth Solvers. Let's dive right in.